We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 553 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Are you enjoying the ongoing NBA and NHL playoffs? Neither features the team from Washington, D.C., of course, but we are getting some good stuff. We on Tuesday night had the Winnipeg Jets winning at the Vegas Golden Knights 5-1 in a game one in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. How about this? Jets forward Morgan Barron took a skate to his face, ended up getting more than 75 stitches, and then returned to the game. Yeah, more than 75 stitches and then returned to the game. That, my friends, is one tough human being. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I can't promise that I'll display Morgan Barron-like toughness over the course of this show, but I'll try. Uh, I can tell you that this podcast, as of early Wednesday morning, was the number 42 podcast in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. A thank you to you for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for spreading the word about this pod. As the great Pat McAfee says, be a friend and tell a friend. Uh, Well, one of my good friends, the DOC, former Redskins tight end, Rick Doc Walker, my former tag team partner on the radio, uh, now the host of the Doc Walker podcast. He is coming up on this show. Uh, Now, if you know Doc, (laughs) you know that he despises talking about non-football stuff. So we are going to talk mostly Commander's football. I might work in a sale reference or two. Uh, But yeah, uh, we're not going to do much on the sale of the Commanders. But you know, with the constant talk of the sale, some actual football talk is needed and is good for us and is necessary for us with the 2023 NFL draft starting in eight days. So the first round is on Thursday night. April 27th. Doc and I are going to cover a lot of ground. Wait until you hear what the DOC has to say about whether our team should exercise the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Chase Young. Vintage DOC. So Doc Walker is coming up for some uh, testosterone-laden football conversation. But before that, uh, next segment, in fact, 
The latest on, yes, the sale of the Commanders. Uh, We on Tuesday evening got a report from Forbes with a percentage breakdown of the Josh Harris group. Uh, Who exactly is set to own how much of the Commanders? I'll take you through that and react to that next segment as well as hit on what this Forbes report said about the actual sale price of the Commanders and what Forbes said about the actual sale price of the Commanders essentially is something that a certain guest on Monday's installment of this podcast said about the actual sale price of the Commanders. And I will have more on this issue of our outgoing co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder potentially being indemnified. Uh, Also on the show, give you my thoughts from both Nationals and Orioles perspectives on Game 1 of Round 1 of the 2023 Battle of the Beltways, Game 1 of a two-game series between the Nationals and Orioles at Nationals Park, what ended up being a one nothing Orioles win at the Nats on Tuesday night. Neither team hit much. Both teams pitched well as uh, we ended up having a pitcher's duel between the Nats' Josiah Gray and the Orioles' Dean Kramer. A pitcher's duel by 2023 standards. I mean, Gray only lasted for five innings. Additionally, I'm going to discuss a rather telling Sports Illustrated piece about San Diego Padres outfielder and former national Juan Soto. You do not want to miss that if you're a Nats fan. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Jay Stavish regarding our conversation on Tuesday's show, episode 552, with NFL insider Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network. Uh, Arif provided us with tremendous insight and detail Um, This guy, Brian Davis, uh, the former Duke basketball player, the former NBA player, the former part owner of DC United. Uh, Brian Davis, he he is the guy who supposedly has a $7 billion cash offer to buy the commanders. I can't even say that with a straight face. Brian Davis also is a guy who has a sketchy, shady business past. Uh, Writes Jay, really good listen. Brian Davis is a straight-up con artist and not even a good one. Dude has himself valued higher than Phil Knight, and Davis has his company valued higher than Under Armour. LOL. Come on, bro. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Jay. Yeah, Brian Davis would seem to be the Jesse Smollett of the commander's bidding process. He is Brian Smollett. Uh, The latest on Brian Davis came to us from sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports on Tuesday morning. Uh, Perez reported that Davis somehow having $7 billion in cash to buy the commanders may have to do with connections to the Middle East. Yeah, quote, there are indications that the source of the funds originated from the Middle East. Two sources with firsthand knowledge of the bid told front office sports on condition of anonymity. Davis and his associates have been cagey about the source of the funds that they claim are backing the bid. One member of Davis's camp told FOS that at least some of the funding is coming from Israel. The other source outside of Davis's inner circle said those involved in the process believe the true source of the funds is Saudi Arabia, which has used sports, including Live Golf, to attempt to alter the image of the oil-rich nation that has faced international condemnation over human rights abuses, end quote. I tell you, this Brian Davis offer gets more and more wild as the days go on. But bottom line, Arif Hassan on Tuesday's show provided a detail-rich accounting of Davis's uh, highly questionable business past. Email from Stanley Evans on the Dan Snyder era ending. Right, Stanley, 
What was the one Dan Snyder moment that made you realize that he had to go? There are a variety of things, obviously, but one that really set me off was when he fired Greg Williams after Joe Gibbs resigned. I thought Gibbs left the team with a good roster and the players liked Greg, and then Snyder blew the whole thing up all over again. At that point, I knew that Mr. Snyder had no idea what he was doing. And that was made even clearer when he hired Jim Zorn as head coach. The only thing that I could do as a fan was hope for the best, even though in the back of my mind, I was very confused. It still feels surreal that finally we do not have to hope for the best in spite of Snyder. What a joyous time this is. I'm happy for you, myself, and the rest of the Washington faithful. We just won our Super Bowl. Have a great week, Galdi. Uh, thank you for the email, Stanley. Same to you, man. Uh, So that is a great question. What was the moment that made me realize that Dan Snyder had to go? Well, the moment that made me realize that we were in trouble with Danny Boy as uh, our owner was when Marty Schottenheimer was out after just one season. Dan, in January 2001, hired Marty as the Redskins head coach and director of football operations, a coach-centric approach. Uh, The Skins in the 2001 regular season got off to an awful start, 0-5, but they then won eight of their final 11 games and finished 8-8. and uh, The Skins got a terrific season from running back Stephen Davis. The defense was good. Linebacker LeVar Arrington looked like he was blossoming. The players were buying into Marty's tough guy approach, and the Skins that season did what they did despite having, shall we say, subpar quarterback play, first with Jeff George then with Tony Banks. So you said to yourself, okay, like this thing is moving in the right direction. If we could just figure out quarterback, we might have ourselves something here. Not unlike the way we talk about the team right now, right? But anyway, that 2001 season happened and then boom, January 2002, Dan fired Marty. And there was a lot to why Dan fired Marty, including one of Dan's minority partners at the time, Fred Drasner, like despising Marty for some reason. But the bottom line was that Marty was one and done. And then what happened? Later in that month of January 2002, Marty was hired as head coach of the San Diego Chargers. And he ended up being their head coach for six seasons. The first three of which were not great. I'll grant you that. But Marty, over his last three seasons as Chargers head coach, 2004 through 2006, had a regular season record of 35 and 13. Let me repeat that. 35 and 13. The Skins, of course, had Steve Spurrier as their head coach for the 2002 and 2003 seasons, and things did not go well. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer was an old school head coach. His nickname was the general, but he could coach. Uh, He died in February 2021 after a battle with Alzheimer's disease, but he is forever immortalized via NFL films with the saying, There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Here you go. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Yeah, I love that. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. And Marty would always refer to his players as men. He would address them as men. He would say, men, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's how he would do it. Again, old school, the general. Uh, Marty, rest in peace, man. I hope you're doing well wherever you may be. 
Hey, no podcast or show covers the Commanders like this podcast does, and we'd love to have you on board. Uh, Now is an especially good time to come on board with new ownership of the team coming on board. Advertising your business or practice on the podcast will grow your business or practice and make you more money. Uh, Podcast advertising is very affordable and podcast advertising works. Email us, see what we can do for you. That email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. All right, so we now have a breakdown of the Josh Harris group as it is in the process of buying the Commanders. Assistant Managing Editor Mike Ozanian of Forbes Media, he on Tuesday evening came out with a piece with a detailed breakdown of the Josh Harris group's bid for the Commanders. Ozanian reported that Harris would own 30% of the Commanders and be the managing partner and that there would be 17 limited partners. Yes, 17 limited partners, including Washington, D.C. area billionaire Mitchell Rails at 12% and NBA legend Magic Johnson at 4%. So the group would be Josh Harris plus 17 other owners of the team. This is what you get when a team is selling for a reported $6.05 billion. There are very few people on the planet who by themselves can buy a team for $6.05 billion. Uh, Harris set to be the managing partner of the Commanders, uh, as he is the managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the managing partner of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, Mitchell Rails, presumably, will be the number two owner of the Commanders at 12%. And Magic Johnson, who many presumed would have a tiny share of the team, uh, actually will have 4%. I mean, that's not a gargantuan share, but that's actually more than I thought uh, that Magic might have. Uh, Now, I say 6.05 billion dollars. If you caught my conversation with Kevin Sheehan, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. He was on Monday's installment of this podcast, episode 551. Kevin told us about how he has heard that the actual sale price is $5.85 billion, with then an earnout to dress up the sale price to $6.05 billion. Well, Michael Zanian, in his report on Tuesday evening, reported uh, that according to a person with firsthand knowledge of the deal, the Harris Group's bid calls for $5.8 billion to immediately be paid to Dan Snyder when the deal closes and calls for $250 million to be paid to Dan over two years. So there you go. Uh, That more or less is what Kevin told us on Monday's show. Uh, We don't know the identities of the other 15 limited partners in the Josh Harris group, but WUSA 9 Sports Director Darren Haynes on Tuesday afternoon did report that Mark Ein is part of the Josh Harris group. Uh, Mark Ein is the owner of the Washington Castles, which is Washington, D.C.'s team in world team tennis. I, on Tuesday's show, episode 552, mentioned that Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails were at the 76ers home win over the Brooklyn Nets on Monday night. Uh, to take a 2-0 lead in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Well, also at that game was Mark Ein. So that game was a coming out party of sorts for the Josh Harris group. Harris, Rails, and Ein all were in the house. And who knows who else might have been in the house. Uh, So we are awaiting the NFL to send back the deal between the commander's current co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, and Josh Harris. Remember, we on Monday evening slash Monday night had reports that the NFL had received the terms of the deal between 
Dan Snyder and Josh Harris for review, and that next, the league would review the deal and then return it to the parties for alteration if need be, or for signatures. Now, The Athletic on Monday night reported that according to a person close to Josh Harris, the deal that has been sent to the NFL, quote, includes language to partly indemnify outgoing owner Dan Snyder for future litigation stemming from the many pending investigations into his tenure. And quote, however, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, he later on Monday night tweeted that what The Athletic reported is false. Uh, the Athletic is very much standing by its reporting. Uh, Commander's insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, he on Tuesday morning tweeted, quote, source tells me Dan Snyder not seeking indemnification and sale process. Perhaps it's being offered to get a deal done, but sources close to the situation say Snyder not specifically asking for it. And quote, um, that presumably came from Team Dan Snyder, that intel uh, that made up uh, the basis for what J.P. put out there on Tuesday morning. Then on Tuesday night, the Washington Post reported that Josh Harris's purchase of the Commanders almost certainly will be ratified by NFL owners per a source. This, if the deal is properly modified and issues related to indemnification and the NFL's investigation of Dan Snyder and the team can be resolved. This entire sale process has been so odd for so many reasons. This confusion with the indemnification is the latest instance of this sale process being odd and also being tedious and also being tiresome. Uh, But consider this. (laughs) This deal between Dan Snyder and Josh Harris that has been sent to the NFL per reports, A, is a deal that has not been signed by either party, and B, is a non-exclusive agreement, meaning that technically another bidder still could come in and outbid the Harris Group. Usually, or at least in theory, a deal for a sale of an NFL team is sent to the league with the deal having been signed and the agreement being exclusive. Not in this case. Seemingly nothing is normal in this case. You know, the reporting has been that Dan Snyder has been keeping the NFL and its owners in the dark about this sale process. We have talked about that uh, with guests on this podcast. Uh, Maybe the sending of this deal to the NFL without the deal being signed and without the deal being exclusive uh, was the Harris Group's way of informing the NFL of what exactly is going on here, you know, Uh, especially if partial indemnification is in fact part of the deal. But whatever the case, uh, day by day, inch by inch, uh, we do seem to be getting close to the Harris Group buying the commanders and That is a very good thing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, a big help is if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. A subscription to the pod costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two, can't be more, but doesn't have to be. And thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and and reviewing as the saga that is the sale of the commanders continues. And as we have had the bulk of the team's activity and free agency this offseason having taken place. And as we approach the 2023 NFL draft, the first round of which is eight days away, Thursday night, April 27th, the commanders uh, in that draft have the number 16 overall pick. As all of these things are happening, we are in need of the DOC. And so I am very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, a friend. He is my former tag team partner on the radio. He is a former Redskins tight end. He is a Super Bowl 17 champion. He is a two-time NFC champion. He is a Rose Bowl champion for the 1975 season. He is the DOC, Rick Doc Walker, who is the host of his own podcast, the Doc Walker podcast. You can follow Doc on Twitter, at Rick Doc Walker. And he is here to do what he does so well. Not talk about the sale and all of the off-the-field stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. He is here to talk X's and O's. Burgundy and gold. Hey, man, coming off the top rope, I, I mean, with WrestleMania and all this going on, now that WWE and UFC, it, it had to be a reunion of the DOC and Brother Galdi. <laughs> yes, Two powerful entities joining forces, exactly. Uh, Are you ready for the sale of our team to be done? Or would you like for this process to continue for as long as possible? Tell you like I tell our guy Jack. I try to ignore it because the only news they throw out is the news they want you to know. Business deals aren't done this way. We're we're, we're littles. These are big-time people. They're very wealthy people. They don't communicate with us. They only tell us what they want us to know. So anything you hear, I go opposite of it. I don't believe any of it whatsoever. And uh, I know they're lying whenever they say, first thing out of their mouth, black man is going to be an owner. <laughs> they don't do that. So that's when you know they're really lying now. Robert Griffin is a magic joke. No, no, seriously. Don't, don't chase that rabbit hole. They don't do business that way, okay? They don't include you. They don't have any... But one minority representation, uh, and that's in Jacksonville, they don't do that, okay? So until they include African-Americans and women into the ownership club, I just get the finger. 
You know, in all of our conversations over the years, I don't think that I've ever asked you about your interactions with the greatest owner in Skins history, Jack Ken Cook. Did you deal with him much when you played for the team? I saw. I mean, he, I mean those guys, you don't get that close. Plus, he slapped the shit out of, like, Mike Nelms. When he, hey, Mike him out of he slapped the shit up. <laughs> I wasn't into that, you know, because I felt like it, it wouldn't have worked out good for me. You know, I, 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 I've never, ever... Thank God I was raised a certain way that if you really believe that everybody's equal, I never believed this person just because they have money. I don't think they're better than I am. They don't, I mean, they just have more money. But these people that put themselves on these high horses is if it changes them, I think it hides insecurities and fear. I think most of them are, you know, just not impressive people. Some are very cool and, and really down to earth. But the other jackasses, I just, I, can, I don't have to, I don't have to, be in their space. I'm good. Well, as we await the end of the sale of the Commanders, uh, they still have had an offseason from a football standpoint. Uh, we have had the firing of offensive coordinator Scott Turner, the hiring of Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, the re-signing of your guy, the baby bull interior defensive lineman Duran Payne to a big money contract extension, uh, the various comings and goings in free agency. Bottom line, is this team better than it was at the end of last season. Yes, because of Eric Bieniemy, they have no answer offensively. They proved to be um, underachievers. They did not get the job done. They wasted a great defensive effort. So they proved to me that they're incapable of scoring enough points to be successful, and they did that. So it, you can point the finger any way you want to point it. I always like to start at the top because if I point the finger at the top, then I say, who picked them? You had all the ability in order. You hired everybody you want to hire. It comes down to you hired the wrong people or you hired the right people and they picked the wrong player. Well, it's got to be one or the other. You can't walk away from it and say you're still a badass and you're in last place in the division and you blew home games against Cleveland and New York. I'm sorry. You can't be Tarzan with those results. All right. So now you try to fix it. And I think being to me step in the right direction. But I, I just don't I don't listen to what they say. They talk too much. I look at the scoreboard where they're average at and the standings where they're mediocre at. And then we go from there. But I like the personnel. I think they've done some really good things in acquiring people and then coaching them up. So they have some unique abilities. They're showing you they just don't win enough. Uh, no, they do not. Uh, our team has not had a winning regular season since 2016. Uh, that's quite a while ago now. Is Doc Walker a believer in Sam Howell as the team's QB1 for the 2023 season? Well, if you go back to the preseason, yours truly, uh, I told Sam he'd be the most dynamic player of the pre, and he was. I love the dude. So I'm in college, so I'm his first year against Tech. See, guys impressed me as freshmen. When you're a badass as a freshman in Division One football, that's unique. A lot of guys, man, I can't imagine being a freshman and balling out at a high level. So he showed me in a maturity. Then in preseason, then they put him in the, in the oven. Why? Because they were hiding him because they were trying to sell a point. Look, you blew it with Wentz. But I don't blame you for swinging. You took the shot. You missed the ball. He was terrible, all right? Then you double down on him, and you blow it against Cleveland, 
And then, so you chase because instead of just saying, hey, the guys ran out of talent, nice guy, not a good player, next. Or maybe you should have tightened up your schemes. Your protection was awful. Now, was it the players or the scheme? Well, somebody who's in charge should have discovered that and taken action. So still trying to cover that up. So when you start, I don't like cover-ups, but that's what happens when you don't have a boss. They were run on the ship. They have no ownership. The owner watching, paying attention, would have walked in there after a couple of games and still been reading people the riot act, but they don't have that. You are someone who preaches competition. Uh, the head coach of our commanders, Ron Rivera, he is preaching that there will be a quarterback competition between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. We will see how legitimate the competition is given that uh, Ron is Washington head coach has yet to conduct a true quarterback competition despite having previously touted supposed quarterback competitions. But what do you make of Sam versus Jacoby? Well, they have to, yeah, they, they can give, Sam should be given a job. If you want to see what happens, you're better off if Sam's your starter and then you've got a salary cap cave that you can build around him until you have to pay him. There's no way you could beat Brissett out if you made it even. How are you going to beat a guy who started and is a pretty good player? But the life doesn't work that way. It's better off because he's a good guy. He's not going to be disrupted. Jacoby's not a jackass. He's been Belichick. So you're good. So you hope baby boy can come up. It's a perfect scenario. If you think, I think he can, it's impossible. Are you going to beat me out? I'm a real legitimate pro. And I've been Belichick. It's nah, not going to happen. But they can, I want Sam, and hopefully Sam doesn't wet the bed and he takes off with this. But if he does, I can go with the next guy or hopefully the guy they draft that will be competent. Because with the enemy, man, I'm saying there's a whole new ocean it's opened up for us now. Very true. That's interesting, though. You, as a man of competition, would not have a competition between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. Oh, no, I would. But I'd hope that, that Sam could, I'd give him the tie. Tie, he'd win a tie. But there's no way to help. A veteran? A guy who's been Belichick? Oh, no, no. Uh-huh. Hey, man, that's like going to SEAL Team 6 camp for me. If you've been <laughs> Belichick then I got a whole different level of respect for you. Much more with Doc Walker in moments. I'm going to next ask him about the commanders at the position that he knows best, tight end. Uh, A lot of injury for the commanders at tight end last season. If you are dealing with injury or harm caused by the negligence of someone else, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace will fight for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. By the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace. He was just named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, 
Heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Naces represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. We're talking commanders with Rick Doc Walker. Uh, as a former tight end, when you look at the commanders at tight end, do they need to upgrade? Well, that's up to the enemy. He knows what he wants. He can evaluate them. They got a lot of talent. I love the 88. I thought that kid overachieved. He could play. He could be a four-team quarterback. Uh, he was a move guy. He was a willing participant in the line of scrimmage blocking. And uh, Bates is a guy who Bates has got to be the guy. He's got to because we got to get some, we got to move the ball. We got to run the ball. We got to secure the edge. I love eighty two. Now I don't know how much is left in his body, but I don't pay for experiments. Now if he's willing to work with me, I have no problem with him. But I'm not overpaying for a guy and hope he works out. I don't do that. And he came back last year. He never looked like he was 100% healthy. Then they couldn't feed him the ball. He never knew where the ball was coming. He's a receiver first. He was a quarterback. And then they got in his head because with that group, you never knew where the ball was going to be. Now, with a more consistent deal, am I willing to give him a shot? Yeah. But we may have to talk because I can't overpay him. If not, I'd move on because I can't stay stuck. I got a group I can't win with. I'm in last place. So everybody but Allen and Payne and and uh, and my safety, and there's only about four or five guys. Everybody else, I can move them and not even lose a wink of sleep. Uh, you earlier mentioned the offensive line, a total collapse this past season, off the line having been a strength in each of the previous two seasons. What happened with the offensive line? Uh, how do you make sense of the play of the line just like totally falling off a cliff this past season? Well, you had a quarterback that held the ball too long and wins. You also, once you lost your base, see, uh, the center position, Larson was my MVP. And then he got hurt at the end and that killed him. Had he been up, you, you may have been able to able to sneak in. You lose Rouye. Then Larson comes in settling. That He's a big old warthog, and you can't bull rush him. So he can play big nose tackle. He can play guys in three technique. When you lost him, it was lights out because we still don't know if Sadiq Charles is anything other than a fashion model. He comes in looking <laughs> like Hercules. He's hurt every other week. Now Batesy is getting a little bit of the, of the disease that, you know, he's, he's not available enough. Our people aren't available. And then our tackles are aging. And you can't leave him on an island. And you certainly can't have skinny tight ends trying to block speed rushers. I thought the scheme was just as bad as some of the individual performances. But do I really think Thibodeau, a tight end, is going to block Thibodeau? Then you're not doing your scouting report. 
So I blame scheme. And also, they can play a little bit better up front. But they are who they are. You got both your tackles off the Chicago Bears scrap heap. And you turn them in, if you took them from a junkyard, and you turn them into classics. And you got great performance out of them. But they're not good enough to stand and go one-on-one, even though they should be practicing against, we thought we had two of the best ends in the world. Well, if I'm seeing these guys every day, why can I get shocked on game day? That tells me something. Tells me a whole lot. We're going to find out. Uh, regarding the commanders having two of the best defensive ends in the world, uh, our team has a decision to make about this fifth-year option for Chase Young. The deadline to exercise the option is May 1st. The option is for $17.452 million. This entire scenario is so odd with how public Rod Rivera and also general manager Martin May, who have been uh, with their supposed uncertainty about whether exercise the option? Should the team exercise the option? And what do you think about how this situation is being handled? You can always tell the, the guys that they don't know how to communicate to. They speak to them through the media. Okay. They obviously aren't happy with something he's done or is doing. With a guy like that, who's underachieving, who's underachieved, could be due to health or not. That's not my concern. He hasn't done enough for me to even consider, and he knows it. So they must be trying, people could be trying to bluff him. I take the bluff. I love his work ethic. I'd like to see more production. Chase is close. The other guy is close. But I can be in last place in the division with anybody. There's nobody that can stick me up if I'm in last place. <laughs> it's funny to me. I mean, that. They're acting as if they just want it all. And they're strutting around, putting out video. Dude, I don't understand what goes on over there, really. I understand I'm not smart enough to get their drift. But I don't negotiate with people in last place. It's that simple. (laughs) Yeah, man. I don't blame you for that policy. That's a pretty good policy. Uh, Chase Young last season only played in three games off the badly torn right knee that he suffered in November 2021. How do he look to you? I like I like Chase's brain. Chase has everything mentally right. Flat-out warrior, gets it. Can play the run game, can rush the pass, do it all. He has not developed his repertoire for the NFL yet. He's not in high school. He can run over people. Can't do that here. The Tampa Bay game should have showed you all you want on the year they were pretty decent. The kid blocked him one-on-one. I'm not mad at Chase. But he ain't in the Big Ten. And nobody's afraid of him. No left tackle in this league. He's got one move. That ain't going to do it. He's got to develop. He was injured. He will put in the work. I trust his work ethic. He's got to take Kerrigan and Coach Z. See, everybody else listened. Coach Z's the key. They had a friend of the family coaching the D-line. Ron, they got rid of him. I think got a good coach. It's all on Chase. If he buys it in, he's my guy. If he don't, he's not because we're in last place. I can't be held up by nobody while I'm in last place. Deron Payne, a good but not great player over his first four NFL seasons, an outstanding player this past season in what, of course, was a contract season. Any concern that now that he has gotten paid that he'll revert to being a good but not great player? None. He didn't have Coach Z. Uh, he's in a good space. He's got a guy he's listening to. 
He's got a guy that played the position. They, they got to him. And he's balling out. And John Allen was there and steady and healthy. So you can't pick on him because you got a bully right next to him who always shows you never got to question anything about it. I wish John Allen was a spokesman for the head coach. I wish whenever Ron wanted to say something, he let John do it. And we'd be way better off. I really do. <laughs> Have Jonathan Allen be Rod Rivera's spokesperson. I like that. Uh, first round of the 2023 NFL Draft, now eight days away. Uh, what does the DOC want from the commanders with their number 16 overall pick? You should know better than most. My draft, draft philosophy has not changed. Last year, I wanted Godzilla out of Georgia. He went to Philly. My thing is I draft the biggest, most physical player available that can command a double team if he's a defensive player or he can block the baddest boy in the, in the world one-on-one. That's my prerequisite in the draft. What position do you want? I just gave you my criteria. If there's a guy out there that can cover one-on-one, he's a man-to-man, shutdown guy, I take him. If he's a left tackle that can block, the guy's one-on-one, I take him. If he's a defense alignment and two guys, I need two people to block him, I take him. It's very, it's just that simple. Two for one. I don't need anybody just a one-on-one guy at the 16th pick. I can I trade down, and I would get more volume of players that are good guys that I can coach them up. But first round? No, you got to be unquestionably a bad at Trent Williams, the fifth pick. That's who I select. He blocks your best one-on-one. Oh, we gave him away. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It ain't that complicated, man. They make it complicated. It really isn't. That's my draft. And that if the back out of Texas, to me, he's the best player in the first round. I love him. But the running backs, they decided they only want to play quarterback. They don't want to play running backs anymore. So they devalued them and, and pushed them down the deal. But I, if there's a better player than that young man, is just a football player. You pr- prove it to me. Texas running back Bijan Robinson. I hear you, but you can find good running backs all over the place in NFL drafts. And spending big capital on running backs isn't necessary. Hey, your buddy Zeke, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys, they paid Ezekiel Elliott. He wasn't worth the money. And now they've cut him. And the guy who surpassed Zeke, Tony Pollard, the Cowboys took him in the fourth round of the 2019 draft. I know, but look what he gave them. They, you, that's what they're back. You get your three or four year. They were in first place with him. They haven't won a playoff game. They don't want to playoff game anybody. But I'm just saying, what do you get? Golly, it's not that complicated. Look how many busts are in the first round. If you don't, but uh, you give me a big guy that can block I got to beat the Eagles, Giants, and Cowboys. I can play them twice. Okay? We lost to the Giants twice. It's, it's humiliating. Yet they go down and beat the team that's undefeated in the Eagles. And then they, they beat Cowboys. When the Cowboys needed to win, and they beat them at the end of the year, that's why you can't give up on this group. They have potential. They got a lot of stuff. They just need, they got the enemy. And I think it's going to be the difference maker. We're hell on wheels on teams. Uh, lost Cam. I love Cam on special teams. But I trust them with teams. And um, maybe we bring Hercules a little competition in camp in the kicking game. If not, Joey, but he's got to earn it. 
But in the meantime, I can put my kicker out the bus first. I ain't doing too bad. Well, I hope that you appreciate not a single question (laughs) about the sale of the team, because I know how much that you love talking about that. Just please do me a favor. Tell our outgoing co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, that I say hello and also goodbye. And, you know, we need a rich guy for the stadium. The football people, it's the NFL. That that may, hopefully Eric will be able to come in and, and get that going. If not, then the new management team will come in and they'll see it the way we see it. Nice try, but not cutting it. Big change could be coming. The DOC, Rick Doc Walker. Great to catch up. All the best. You too, brother. Well, Capitals winger Alex Ovechkin was at Nationals Park on Tuesday night for Game 1 of a two-game series between the Nationals and Orioles. Uh, Ovi was on the field during batting practice. The Nats perhaps could have used the great eight in their lineup uh, because the Nats' weak hitting on Tuesday night reached a new low for this season, a one nothing loss to the Orioles, whose starting pitching had been horrendous. The O's came into this game with a starting pitching ERA for this regular season of 675, and yet Dean Kramer and three relievers combined for a five-hit shutout. The Nats totaled no runs, just five hits, all of which were singles, and no walks. The Nats now are 5-12. and 12. Uh, They, over their 17 games, have totaled just 62 runs. That works out to an average of just 3.65 runs per game, and that includes 17 runs over two wins at the Colorado Rockies April 7th and 8th. If you take out just those two games, you're looking at 45 runs over 15 games, an average of just three runs per game. Uh, Nothing on Tuesday night was worse for the Nats than what happened in the bottom of the third. The Nats had runners on second and third, no outs, and the team's numbers one, two, and three batters coming up. And yet, the Nats ended up scoring no runs. Uh, right fielder Lane Thomas struck out looking on four pitches. Uh, he on Tuesday night went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. First baseman Dominic Smith struck out swinging on three pitches. He on Tuesday night went 1 for 4 with a single and two strikeouts. And designated hitter Joey Manessis struck out swinging on seven pitches. He on Tuesday night went 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Uh, that bottom of the third on Tuesday night was brutal for the Nats. This was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on that bottom of the third. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with my co-host on the Nats Chat podcast, Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. We got, we got the top of the order up. I mean, we just missed fastballs. I mean, we were swinging right through the fastballs. So, um, you know, I, I would take my chances again with those guys up there with, you know, second and third, no outs like that. I mean, um, you know, we, one, we got we got to get the ball in the zone, and uh, and two, we got to be ready be ready to drive those runs. In. You know, we we talk a lot about getting on the fastball, stay in the middle of the field. Um, today, we just missed them. What have you seen specifically from Dom and some of those events? Dom, Dom is working a little bit uphill right now. We're trying to get him a little bit, you know, flatter. Um, you know, I thought towards the end they started fouling some balls off, you know, and the swing was getting better. Um, but we got to get him. We got to get him on playing a little bit more out front. So um, I know he came in today and worked on some stuff. Um, just so hopefully we get him. We get him back to where he needs to be. I mean, hey, he's a good hitter. He, you know, he he knows how to get his hits when he needs to. But we need him and, and Joey to start, you know, driving the balls for us. Um, and it'll come. You know, we, we just got to continue to work with them. 
Yeah, both Dominic Smith and Joey Manessis have been uh, rather bad so far this season. And that has been especially costly with those guys routinely batting high up in Davey Martinez's lineups. Uh, the biggest bright spot for the Nats on Tuesday night was their starting pitcher, uh, Josiah Gray. He was solid for a third consecutive start, one run in five innings. Uh, he gave up just four hits, two doubles, and two singles. He did only record three strikeouts. He did issue four walks, and he did throw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. Uh, he over his five innings threw 98 pitches, which consisted of just 58 strikes versus 40 balls. But the run prevention was there. One run in five innings. Josiah Gray in his 2023 regular season debut was bad. A 7-1 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on April 1st. Five runs in five innings. He gave up three home runs, including two homers to the first two batters he faced. But Gray, since that game, has done a pretty good job. A one nothing loss at the Colorado Rockies on April 6th. One run in six innings with six strikeouts. 2 nothing loss at the Los Angeles Angels on April 11th. Two runs in five and two-thirds innings. And now this one nothing loss to the O's at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. One run in five innings. And Gray's home run problem, a big problem over his first two major league seasons, has calmed down, at least for now. He allowed the three home runs in that first start, but he has allowed just one home run over his last three starts. But, you know, in going through these Josiah Gray starts, did you notice a pattern? Uh, the Nats don't score when Josiah Gray pitches. The Nats, over the four games that he has started this regular season, have totaled a mere one run and now have been shut out in each of the last three games that Gray has started. Uh, the Nats' bullpen on Tuesday night was good. Uh, three Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Mason Thompson had another good outing, two perfect innings. He faced five batters, got six outs. Uh, Thompson came into the game in the top of the six with a runner on first, no outs, and the Nats down one nothing. He then recorded three outs over two batters, including a strike him out, throw him out, double play for the second and third outs. Uh, Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless top of the eighth, and Erasmo Ramirez tossed a perfect top of the ninth with two strikeouts. You know, I mentioned that strike him out, throw him out, double play. Cape Ruiz on Tuesday night as an at starting catcher and number six batter, 0 for 4, but he made two impressive throws. Ruiz and an Orioles one run fourth throughout Austin Hayes in his attempt to stretch his one out RBI single to left field into a double. Uh, now, it was left fielder Stone Garrett who got credited with an outfield assist, but his throw home <laughs> was horrendous. The throw took Cape Ruiz up the first baseline, but Ruiz, to his credit, uh, found where to go with the baseball and ended up gunning down Austin Hayes at second base for the out. So Stone Garrett got the outfield assist, but Cape Ruiz was the guy who made the play. And then Ruiz in the top of the sixth throughout Adam Frazier on his attempted steal of second base. And that aforementioned strike him out, throw him out, double play for the second and third outs. Uh, as for this game from an Orioles perspective, uh, well, the O's now are 10 and 7. As they on Tuesday night, Joe Angel, we're back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That's right, Joe, the win column. Uh, look, the O's on Tuesday night did not hit much. Uh, just one run, just five hits, two doubles, and three singles. The O's did work four walks. The story of the game for the O's was their starting pitcher, Dean Kramer. Uh, he was good for the first time in four starts in this regular season. Uh, Kramer, in this one nothing win at the Nats, six and two-thirds scoreless innings, six strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up 
just four hits, all of which were singles. He did issue a hit by pitch. Uh, he threw 95 pitches, 66 strikes versus just 29 balls. Uh, Kramer came into this game with an ERA of 949 over three starts in this regular season. He had been really bad, but he on Tuesday night was really good. This was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on Dean Kramer. And then you will hear multiple follow-up exchanges. I really pitched with his fastball extremely well. Uh, I was throwing 95 to 97 into the seventh inning. But the uh, the second, third, nobody out. He really stepped on the gas there. And, and uh, I thought he was just really, really competitive tonight. I think you saw the intensity out there. And, and uh, um, you're really happy with him for him, you know, after having a, you know, a few tough starts, but settling tonight and really pitching well. We talked pre-game about him needing to command the strikes out, and I think he had 22 yeah. first pitch strikes tonight. Yeah, worked ahead in the count the entire game. Um, you know, no walks. Huge. You know, no walks, working ahead. He's got really good stuff. He's got four good pitches, and he mixed well, and he pitched a lot with his four-seamers tonight. You mentioned the intensity. What's it like to see him get a motive out there? Well, I mean, the, you definitely saw it when it was that second, third, nobody out situation. You know, it was a little bit of, you know, um, he knew that we needed some punch outs right there, and, and you know, he went after it. And uh, I like the way he elevated his fastball tonight. You know, he's got a, a, the ability to do that more often and, and um, took advantage of it tonight and got some big strikeouts. He obviously had a lot of good starts last season, but is this, you know, one of the best that you've seen from him? This is one of the best, yeah. I mean, I remember the complete game shutout against Houston. That was that was a pretty good one, too. But uh, he's had some good starts, but this is this is up there. Yes, it is. Uh, three Orioles relievers on Tuesday night combined for two and a third scoreless innings. Yanir Cano, another good outing for him. The Cano Show, a perfect bottom of the eighth. And Felix Batista, scoreless bottom of the ninth. Despite a nice piece of hitting by Luis Garcia, Garcia had a two-out full-count single to center field off Batista despite having been down at the count at one point. Oh, two. Uh, Garcia has an ad starting second baseman and number five batter, one for four with a single. Game two for the Nats against the O's at Nationals Park is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. The Orioles starting pitcher still has not been announced. Uh, meantime, we have a Juan Soto update. Yeah, Juan Soto, a.k.a. the Childish Bambino. You remember that guy, right? Generational outfielder who the Nats last summer traded to the San Diego Padres. Uh, yeah, that guy. Uh, Sports Illustrated senior writer Stephanie Epstein. She on Tuesday afternoon came out with a story about Juan Soto's struggles with the Padres. Uh, things haven't exactly gone swimmingly for Soto with the Padres. Uh, Soto, at the time of the publication of this article, had the following slash line over 70 regular season games with the Padres since they acquired him from the Nats last August 2nd on what was 2022 MLB trade deadline day. A batting average of just a 218 and on base percentage of 377, which is good, but is not Juan Soto good, and a slugging percentage of just 383. Now, the Padres in the 2022 postseason did advance to the National League Championship Series, but Soto's time with the Padres so far has not been great. Uh, the most notable portion of this story by Stephanie Epstein had to do with the fallout from what came out last July 16th. Multiple reports that Soto turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer from the Nats, who thus had become open to trading him prior 
to the 2022 MLB trade deadline. Read part of the piece by Amstein, quote, as he looks back at the period surrounding the trade deadline, his voice goes soft. Those weeks were among the hardest of his baseball career. He was able to lock in on baseball while at the plate, but standing in the outfield, he could not help but hear the jeers. Much worse was the response from people close to him. The news that he had rejected nearly half a billion dollars pitted all the fans, all the Dominicans, even my family, against me, he says. He felt completely overwhelmed as he tried to navigate their skepticism. A lot of teammates were like, we respect your thinking, but that's a lot of money, he says. I'm like, guys, I'm trying to do what's best for me and what's best for my family. And you got to go out there and perform. And you try to perform for guys that doubt you. And that's one of the things I hated. Some of his relatives still do not understand, he says. They have agreed not to bring it up. I wanted to do it with the Nationals, but they just made it public, he says. I didn't like that at all. I hated it. I told them we weren't speaking anymore because they just threw everything out there. If the Padres can keep negotiations private, I can do it anytime. I have no problem with it. Nationals general manager Mike Rizzo did not return a request for comment, but he has previously denied the team leaked the terms of the offer, end quote. So, wow, uh, there was a lot there from Juan Soto. Uh, we knew at the time that Soto was not happy about the leaking of him having turned down that 15-year, $440 billion contract extension offer from the Nats. But this story really does amplify how angry Soto was. Uh, it, for me, is really hard to believe that Soto rejecting that offer and the terms of that offer were not leaked by the Nats in some form. Uh, maybe Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo, maybe Nats ownership, uh, maybe someone else in the Nats front office. But whatever the case, someone from the Nats almost certainly leaked that intel. Because whenever something significant is leaked, you always have to ask the question, who benefits most from this being leaked? And in this case, the Nats, in theory, benefited from this being leaked. Because Soto turning down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer made him look bad. Although, if you follow the economics of baseball, Soto turning down that offer actually did make sense. Uh, I suppose <laughs> you could have a conspiracy theory that Soto's agent, Scott Boris, leaked Soto turning down the offer. And the idea behind that would be to poison Soto's relationship with the Nats. But that would be quite the Machiavellian tactic by Scott Boris. Here's the bottom line with the Nats and Juan Soto. A, the Nats didn't have to trade Soto last season. He's not due to be a free agent until the 2024-2025 offseason. B, the Nats trading Soto last season represented a complete 180 from how the Nats had been talking. Mike Rizzo on March 13th, 2022, in a press conference said that signing Juan Soto to a contract extension was Rizzo's, quote, number one priority, end quote, and said that the Nats were Soto's team and that Soto was, quote, the face of the franchise, end quote. Uh, Mike Rizzo last June 1st on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan, quote, we are not trading Juan Soto. We've made it clear to his agent and to the player. We have every intention of building this team around Juan Soto. 
We've spoken to his agent many, many times, recently sat with him when he was in Washington, D.C., made it clear to him that we are not interested in trading him. And I guess the rest of the world just doesn't believe it. But that's our position. End quote. <laughs> so, so Mike Rizzo said all of that. And then something apparently changed. Something caused the Nats to do this about face on being committed to keeping Juan Soto through the rebuild. And what exactly that something was still isn't clear. Uh, the Nats in their contract extension offers to Juan Soto were constantly a day late and a dollar short. The team, in order to get him to sign an extension, needed to make him a godfather offer, you know, needed to make him an offer that he could not refuse. And the team never did that. And so what I have wondered is if the team ever truly wanted to sign Soto to an extension. Maybe Mike Rizzo himself wanted to sign Soto to an extension, but maybe the learners did not want that, especially uh, with their suspected cash flow problem off the collapse of the commercial real estate market. And then you throw in their desire to sell the team. And then you also can throw in how bad the Nats were last season and how bad their farm system was off years of bad drafting and bad player development. And maybe all of that compelled Mike Rizzo to get on board with trading Juan Soto. You know, so many mega money contracts in baseball do not work out to where I don't blame any team for not wanting to sign a player to a mega money contract. But Juan Soto is someone for whom you should potentially make the exception. He is really young and really talented. And I still think really good. Although again, uh, he hasn't exactly been thriving with the Padres. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 554, will feature plenty on the Commanders. Also talk Nationals versus Orioles, game two of those teams, two-game series at Nationals Park is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. There's a gleam, man. There's a gleam.